Oh, you just got lots of space back, John. <laughs> well, I didn't say I'm necessarily going to delete them, but if I get tight on space, then it's good to know that I can do that. So the story begins, friends. All right. <laughs> we are on a new chapter. We are on chapter 42, page 523. There are only about 11 chapters left. That's about a year, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a year or two at least. <laughs> and then we have to start over. Oh, for sure. No, I, I think so. I think that's the route to go. Because there's a lot to really capture here. So just to, to reframe what our short-term goal has been at this point in Tanya, we're trying to explore, we were exploring the importance of Kavana, and we finally um, started discussing how to, um, how to develop Kavana, how to achieve Kavana. How do I experience love? How do I experience reverence? And a quick reminder, because this is really important. If you look back on the beginning of, on the beginning of chapter 41, page 492. Beginning of chapter 41, this was about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago. The first bold paragraph, it's the middle of the page. And here's how we started the chapter. But you need to remember always the beginning of worship as well as its ongoing foundation and nourishing root, which is reverence, not love. We're not saying that love is not crucial and that love isn't necessary, but love is not the starting point. The starting point and the foundation of a relationship, we said, is reverence. And we've discussed different levels of reverence. We've discussed various levels of love as well. So now we're circling back to the concept of reverence to better understand how to uh, develop a, a genuine feeling of reverence. There's two levels of reverence. There's what's called the lower level of reverence and the higher level of reverence. The same with love as well, by the way. There's the lower level of love and the higher level of love. And we're going to be, throughout the coming chapters, we'll be exploring these four levels. Right now, we're going to explore the lower level of reverence. Of reverence. The lower level of reverence is essentially an appreciation, not so much a feeling. Which means I may not um, experience it in my heart 100%, but I get it. I get that this is something worth revering. And that appreciation is enough to motivate me. And that's something everybody can achieve. It's kind of just reminding ourselves of what is truly valuable, what is truly important. And as we spoke about earlier, reminding ourselves how present God truly is. But then take a look on what the Torah has to say about this. What did Moses say when it came to this level of reverence? Take a look on 523. It's the middle of the page, the first bold paragraph. Now, based on what we have explained above in the previous chapter about lower reverence, which is a basic requirement for all mitzvah observance, positive and negative, we'll be able to properly understand what is written in the Talmud and its commentary on the verse. So the, comment, the Talmud quoted the following verse, 
This is from Deuteronomy. Now, O Israel, this is Moses talking to the Jewish people. Now, O Israel, what does God, your God, ask from you? Only that you revere God, your God. So Moses says, come on, people. All God wants is you to revere him. As if it's so easy, right? Upon which the Talmud asks, wait a minute. Is reverence such a small thing? Moses is saying, hey, come on, Jewish people. All you got to do is revere God. Let, let's think about that statement for a moment. Right? Imagine a wealthy person saying to an impoverished person, it's only $100. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> that doesn't help. That helps for the wealthy guy. It doesn't help for the impoverished guy. So Moses has this uh, um, deep connection with God, a direct communication with God. It's no question that Moses would be able to simply revere God and for sure love God and experience him in every other uh, emotional facet. But to have that expectation for us and to make it sound so easy, what's going on here? The Talmud's answer is no less, is no less shocking. Take a look at the Talmud's answer, the next bold paragraph, second to last on the page. And the Talmud's answer, yes, for Moshe, for Moses, our teacher, it's a small thing. Well, that's not seemingly such a sufficient answer either. So again, Moses tells the Jewish people, hey, can't you just revere God? Come on. The Talmud says, well, why is he making it sound like it's not a big deal? It is a big deal. The Talmud's answer, well, for Moses, it's not a big deal. Well, let me ask you a question. Do I look like Moses? <laughs> who, ca <laughs> who cares if it's not a big deal for Moses? I'm not Moses. <laughs> okay, so what's the answer? The answer is on 524. And this is going to be very instrumental in helping us access our faith and translating them into uh, kavana, into, into our emotions. Top of 524. The answer is, yeah, you do look like Moses. <laughs> That's the answer. Rather, the explanation is that every single soul in Israel has available to it an element of the soul of Moses, our teacher of blessed memory. Moses said, I'm all, all I'm asking is for you to revere God. The Talmud says, wait, why are you making it sound like it's no big deal? The answer, for Moses, it's not a big deal. We all have a piece of Moses within us. And if we can access that soul element, experiencing reverence for God, which means God is relevant to me. God is real to me. Very real to me. It's not going to be a big deal. For my everyday default self, that's a big deal. But for the part of me that's connected to Moses, for the Moses element within me, that's no big deal. I got this. I can do this. The Zohar, one of the earliest works in the Kabbalah, refers to Moses as a faithful shepherd. And there's different explanations as to what that actually means. On a very literal level, 
Moses is referred to as a faithful shepherd because he leads us faithfully as a shepherd leads his flock faithfully. But there's a deeper explanation. He doesn't just lead us faithfully. He feeds us as a shepherd would. A shepherd would. What does he feed us? Faith. Moses feeds us faith. And that's why the Zohar refers to Moses as the faithful shepherd. That's the function of a Moses. The function of a, of a Jewish leader is to feed us faith. Um, take a look on 525. The, the middle of five, um, the middle, actually, we'll, we'll go to the top paragraph of 525. The, the first bold paragraph. And while each of the shepherds can nourish a particular attribute in the souls, there's different leaders that we refer to as different shepherds. Moshe, Moses, our teacher of blessed memory, combines them all nurturing the, all the attributes. And that is why throughout the Zohar, he, Moses, is called the faithful shepherd, being the who could help me out here? <laughs> the archetypical, okay, pretend I got that right, shepherd, who fulfills the function of them all. I'm going to read the next bold paragraph, and that's because Moshe causes da'as to flow to all the souls of Israel. How does Moses feed us faith? Through the attribute of da'at. Right, the next bold paragraph. This enables each individual to have da'at of God. What does da'at mean? What does da'at mean? Wisdom. Not knowledge. Uh, knowledge. Wisdom. Knowledge. We, yes. we, right. We translate it literally as knowledge, but what does da'at really mean? Knowing. I don't know. What does uh, it mean to know? Oh, uh, insight. Right, okay. Insight is a good way to put it. What else? It's more than that. Intuition? Intuition, okay. Okay. Da'as, I would translate as connection. Hmm. Connection, connecting to the information. Understand da'as. Understand da'at not as a noun, Knowledge, knowledge is a noun. Understand it as a verb. Your connection to the knowledge, the relevance to the, that the knowledge has to you. So again, da'as in a Torah per, uh, perspective, knowledge in a Torah perspective is not a noun, it's a verb. And we'll talk more about that soon. But what it basically means is, Moses gives us knowledge of God, a connection to God, an internal connection to God. And it's a twofold internal connection to God. Take a look at the next bold paragraph. It's the second to last on the page. It's twofold because it will be according to your soul's own cognitive ability. So Moses gives each and every one of us a meaningful relationship with God, meaningful on our own personal terms, right? In other words, makes our faith meaningful. And number two, it's going to depend on your soul's root above. It, that's number th they put in three here. It can draw um, energy from the root of Moses' soul, connecting to Moses' soul. 
let me put it this way. Moses doesn't, we're calling Moses the shepherd of faith, right? Because he feeds us faith. And that's a puzzling statement because we're Jews. We have the divine soul. We already have faith. I don't need no Moses to give me faith. A Jew, and we spoke about this throughout Tanya many times, a Jew by default has faith. What a Jew may be lacking is their awareness of that faith. And that's what the Da'at is. Moses is not giving us faith. He's empowering us to internalize the faith, to make the faith meaningful. So Everybody is, he, has doing, faith. is, is yep. he doing this in a historic manner or is he doing this today? Okay, good question. The answer is yes. <laughs> and we'll soon see how. That's an excellent question. The answer is yes, and we will see how. The, um, the Talmud says, faith, faith alone, without da'at, is, I don't want us to use the word meaningless, because that, that's a strong word. But I would say not meaningful. <laughs> I'm being PC tonight. right? You all know me. You know I'm very PC, right? <laughs> um, the Talmud gives an analogy. The Talmud says, that you can have a thief standing at the front of a building of a house ready to break in to steal to rob the place and he says god almighty help me be successful help me not get caught help me find what i'm looking for hastily oh wait a minute let's take a let's zoom out here and analyze Let's psychoanalyze this dude, this thief. Does he really believe in God? Well, why is he stealing? God doesn't want him to steal. Okay, he doesn't believe in God because he's stealing. But why is he praying to God? What's with this guy? So the Talmud says he has faith, but his faith is not relevant to him. It's not meaningful to him. It's there. It's just not meaningful. What makes faith meaningful? That is that. That is our knowledge. Our ability to internalize. Right? Um, I'll give you an example. I, I may have told you this story before. But if, if I have and it's old news, you can stop me. Um, there was once a small yeshiva, small rabbinical school. And it was a small group of people studying. So instead of hiring a full-time rabbi for such a small institution, they hired a part-time rabbi who was also a part-time entrepreneur. He was a businessman. And he was a short distance importer or exporter, whatever you want to call it. There was this long river and there was a forest at the top of the river. He, hired, he, would, he had a whole crew of people chopping down trees, creating firewood and logs. And he would make sure it gets sent down the river on a raft and it would make its way to where it needed to go. That was his daytime job, his evening job, rabbi teaching Talmud. 
And one day, one of his rafts sunk, causing several other rafts to crash. And he just lost a bunch of wood. The river's clogged up. A ton of money's going down the drain. And they don't know how to break it to the rabbi. How are they going to tell him this news? So they say, I have an idea. We'll have the students break the news to him. He loves his students. He's a dedicated teacher. So the students say, Rabbi, do you remember you taught us in the Talmud? That it, it, the Talmud says that just like you thank God for the good, you have to thank God for the bad. You remember that one, Rabbi? You remember that piece of Talmud? And he says, of course I do. He said, can you elaborate on that? We don't understand it. <laughs> and he starts going into the whole theology of Judaism, how everything God does is for the best. And God knows what he's doing. And we got to trust God because it's all good. And they're getting all into it. So Rabbi, if we told you tragic news, you'd start dancing. He says, of course, this is what the Talmud says. They say, Rabbi, start dancing. <laughs> He says, what? He says, yeah, you just lost a ton of money. Your whole thing crashed and you lost all your wood. Start dancing. The guy faints. Passed out. With all that Talmudic knowledge, with all that theological knowledge, it, it, it didn't stop him from, um, from passing out. What was he lacking? He wasn't lacking information. Das. He was lacking das. He was lacking the ability to internalize that information. And that story is used to depict the power of das, the power of knowledge, the power of, of, of I, I'm going to, I'm trying to use the word, the Hebrew word intentionally as opposed to the English word, because the English word won't do justice. Although it is literally translated as knowledge. The Zohar refers to da'as, knowledge, as the key to the heart. Because that's really what it is. It's the key in which to access our faith, to make our faith emotionally relevant. If we want our faith to be emotionally relevant, we need da'as. We need to actively internalize. Um, when Adam and Eve, by the way, were first intimate with one another, the Torah says Adam knew Eve, and it uses the expression of das. Das essentially means to be not just aware, not just to be knowledgeable, but to be intimately familiar. To the point that there's a relevance, right? There's nobody more relevant than a spouse. So to know God means there's nobody more relevant than him because he's very relevant. And what enables us to internalize our relationship with God, to internalize his relevance, so we can actually, or so we can genuinely revere him, that's where Moses comes in. Now, how is Moses actively doing that? That sounds kind of, like historically it makes sense. Um, what does that have to do with you and me? So first of all, we each have a piece of Moses in us, within us, a piece of Mo, uh, the Moses soul within us. And if we could tap into that, we'll talk about how to get there soon. But the truth is the Zohar 
again, one of the earliest works of the Kabbalah, explains that there is a Moses that actually in every generation, every generation has its Moses, whose job is to make God meaningful, to make faith meaningful. He's not here to sell you faith. You have it already. But literally just there to make it meaningful. Take a look on the bottom of 527. Because in every single generation, it's, it's all the way in the bottom, sorry, the bottom of 527, because in every single generation, there is not only the distant influence of Moshe's soul, but actual sparks from Moshe's soul come down and become enmeshed in both the body and soul, the sages of that generation. The sages of each generation being the eyes of the congregation as referred to in scripture in Numbers. And these sparks of Moshe's soul empower the sages to teach da'as to people, to essentially to make God meaningful, enabling the people to have da'as, next page, 528, of the greatness of God. And through this da'as, they'll be empowered to worship him with heart and soul. So their every generation has its Moses, and some may have multiple Mosai, what I did there, right? <laughs> we'll have multiple <laughs> Mosai um, inspiring people, making their and educating people so that their soul, their relationship with God, their relationship with the Torah becomes more relevant, becomes more meaningful. The beautiful thing about Da'as, faith, faith is very objective. Faith is very black and white. You either have faith or you don't. And as Jews, we have faith. That's just a fact. Da'as is very subjective. It's not so black and white. How aware, how much, how aware of this faith are you? How relevant is the, is the faith? It's not, it's either relevant or it isn't. How relevant is it? How much does it inspire you? How much does it motivate you? How much is it on the forefront of our minds? It's a lot more subjective. There's a lot more room for discussion. And uh, when it comes to da'as, as opposed to faith, it's a lot more meaningful. And Moses would inspire each and every one of us to experience da'as on our own level. Would, can I ask you something? Would Please, yeah. teacher be a Moses? In everybody's life at any time. Sorry, one more time. Would every teacher be a Moses in all of our lives? Because you said there's a Moses in all of us. So somebody right. is giving yeah. insight, knowledge. Right, right. yes, hundred percent. Each of us can, can emulate that trait of, of making Judaism or making the soul, making the Torah, making God meaningful. And hundred percent, hundred percent. I'll, if Sharon, remind me, please, after this, we'll do pro bono because it's not directly related to our discussion, but remind me to tell you a great story about Eliyahu, Hanavi, Elijah, the prophet about that. I got to tell you a great story about that, but, but it will, we'll do pro bono after, afterwards. Okay. So anybody who might be listening to this recording later, consider yourself to be on suspense. <laughs> but you, you raise an excellent point, a fascinating point. Now, this concept of da'as, by the way, that we're trying to connect with, 
through, by, by way of connection through Moses. Um, when, when the Mashiach comes, we will no longer need to rely on a Moses. Because the, the essence of Mashiach's arrival of that era, as described in all the prophecies of Isaiah and others, is essentially God revealing himself in this world. Right, the, my, uh, um, Isaiah says the world will be full of the knowledge of God. And if the world, if that knowledge is going to be um, accessible, and not just knowledge as a noun, but as a verb, if the internalization of this knowledge will be accessible to everybody, we will no longer need a, knowledge, uh, um, a Moses. Take a look on 529, the first bold paragraph, right on top of section two. But in the future era, we will have sufficient da'as of our own that we will no longer require the influence of our sages. As the verse states, no longer will they need to teach one another saying, no, the Hebrew word da, da'as, right? God, for all of them will know me. When Mashiach comes, we're actually going to have an intimate, intimate relationship with God. We're going to know God. We won't need the Moses. It won't take, it, it will kind of be natural. It'll, it'll be very normal. Right now, a relationship with God is very deeply ingrained within us, yet at the same time, it's ironic. At the same time, it's it's not normal. It's, it's not our default. It's something we really have to work toward to connect to the Moses within us. But when Mashiach comes, it's going to be a part of normal life. You're not going to need Moses to get you there. What is real da'as? What is da'as really? To really break it down. Page 529. The middle of 529, right under section two. This is, this is going to be so important in, in so many areas of our understanding, and we'll soon see why. But the principal quality of da'as isn't mere factual knowledge as the term das superficially implies, das is often translated simply as knowledge. It isn't that people should have factual knowledge of God's greatness from teachers and from books. It's not just about teaching. It's not just about information. It's more than just the noun, the information that you've collected, whether it's from books or from people. Rather, the main point is to feel the truth of these teachings by personally connecting to the ideas. This is a, a powerful paradigm shift. Das, knowledge, is not a noun, it's a verb. It's not the knowledge, it's the effort that I put in to connect to the knowledge, to make the knowledge relevant. They say rabbis have a hard time with das because you hear a good insight and oh that's a good one i'll use that for my speech <laughs> no no time to actually internalize it to think about it <laughs> too busy getting other people to think about it right um <laughs> but the, just teasing but the the idea is real das real knowledge is the act of internalization Again, to read further, the, la the last paragraph on page 529. 
the key to Da'as is through pondering deeply with your Da'as on the greatness of God and fixating your thoughts on God with an intensity of mind and determination of heart until a firm and strong attachment is achieved between your thoughts and God. Which means, perhaps put quite simply, God is not just something I think of. He's someone whom I think about. Again, God is not just someone who I think of. He's someone who I think about. I'm very intentional and perhaps very intense in my meditation, very thorough in my meditation. Now, we haven't really spoke about specific meditations. We just spoke about the concept of meditation. But meditation um, is very important. It's a very um, fundamental aspect in our relationship with God. If you want to feel anything in life, you have to meditate on it. You have to think about it. We are, by the way, um, we are expert meditators. Imagine somebody offends you at work. And what happens if you don't talk about it, you don't think about it, you do something else, you put your mind on something else, you, okay, you forget about it. But what happens if you come home and you tell your spouse, you know what so-and-so did to me? And you start elaborating on it and you start talking about it and you start going into detail into what happened and how that made you feel. How are you going to feel at that point about that individual? The feelings are going to be much more passionate, right? The more we meditate on something and the more concrete our meditation is, the more specific our meditation is, the more we're going to feel it. And it's no different in our relationship with God. And that's what Da'as is. What would indicate that I truly have da'as? Any thoughts? What would indicate in my relationship with God that I truly have da'as? If you've got feelings and, the, and it's okay. positive. Okay, so if you have positive feelings toward God, okay, good. And the truth is, unfortunately, even if a person has negative feelings towards God, at least God is real to them. Yeah. But, but okay, good. What else? Any other thoughts? What would indicate that you have da'as toward God? If God was so real to me, beyond the shadow of any doubt, that doesn't mean that I don't necessarily get doubts, but it means my doubts are just so irrelevant. The reason why doubts would be irrelevant is because <laughs> I have to ask, what are you, what are you, what are you, who are you arguing with? <laughs> Take a look on page 530. The first bold paragraph. Das will connect you with an idea just like you're connected with a physical object that you see with your physical eyes which you're thinking about deeply. If a person has, what would indicate that I have da'as in my relationship with God? If my certainty for God and his will is like the clarity of sight, nobody can talk me out of it. People can talk you, talk you out of things that you've heard about, right? You can talk, people can talk you out of things that you've understood and convince you that you don't understand. But nobody could talk you out of anything that you've seen with your very own eyes. 
In fact, according to Jewish law, a witness can't be a, a judge. A judge is supposed to be impartial. A witness is supposed to be, is not supposed to be impartial. And they're, they're like dichotomous to each other. And if God is so real to me, that it's as if I saw him to the extent that nobody could talk me out of this. Because it's just so real. God's Torah is just so real. His vision for humanity is just so real. The purpose for why he put me into this world and what my mission in life is, what he needs from me, is just so real. Nobody can talk me out of it. That's an indication of Das. He, is, he must be really relevant. You know, what's interesting, getting... what's interesting about that uh, understanding is that um, not, not, not that necessarily you feel like you're getting talked out of it, but uh, most of us slip up from one time to, or another. And, uh, you know, we have to go through Teshuvah to return. But it's difficult to kind of uh, say, well, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, I, I believe in Hashem because um, I do slip up. And if I, if, if I slipping up, that means that even though I am, you know, I, I, I feel this deep connection, um, I slipped up, but I shouldn't be slipping up, right? Because it should be beyond a shadow of a doubt that um, I need to be um, uh, aligning myself with God's will. And yet I slipped up. Right, so what does that mean for our, our, the strength of our connection with Hashem? Okay, that, that's a good question. That's a very good question. The, what I think is that the way, the moment we recognize that we've slipped up, well, that means I believe in a God whom I've, I've slipped up against. If I really had doubts, I might say, yeah, I didn't slip up. It doesn't really matter. You know, it, it's kind of the fact that it matters that it's just so real to me. Which means I, I'm going to have doubts. We're not saying that you might, you're not going to have doubts and that you're not going to have, and I, I use the word doubts loosely. It could be confusion. It could be uh, the temptation. But they're just irrelevant. I'll tell you a great story. And you may have heard this story from me. I feel like at this point, I'm on recycle mode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there was a there was a rabbi known as the Tzemach Tzedek. lived about 150, 175 years ago. His name was actually Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of Lubavitch. Same name as the Lubavitch Rebbe. It was his great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. And he had a a student comes up to him and says, Rabbi, I'm experiencing doubts. And he says, no, no, no. Oh, well, you know. He says, Rabbi, <laughs> what do you mean, oh, well? And just, just to put this in perspective, this is back in the shtetl. Back where these Jews did not have... Um, a lot of opportunity for outside exposure. You know, they're a very tight-knit community. So imagine a Hasidic Jew with a long gray beard and a long black coat says to his rabbi, I have doubts. 
And his rabbi said, and he, he's expecting a reprimand, he's expecting encouragement, something. And the rabbi just says, eh, shrugs it off. He says, Rabbi, I, I don't know if God is real. I don't know if I believe in his Torah. I don't know if anything that we're doing is true. And maybe this is all fake. And he says, no. He says, what do you mean, no? He says, let me ask you a question. You have doubts. Why does that bother you? He says, because I'm a Jew. He says, okay, you're good. <laughs> you're good. It's real to you beyond the shadow of a doubt to the point that even your doubts bother you because they're irrelevant and they're getting in your way. We slip up. We move on, right? It, 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 the fact that we see it as a slip up and that we need to pick ourselves up and that we need to move on, that's part of the process of faith in us believing that this is true. Otherwise, we wouldn't feel the need to pick ourselves up after slipping up to feel or feel the need to do teshuva. Does it make sense? Yeah, that helps. Thank you very much for that. Um, it, it, essentially, teshuva is just the, teshuva begins from the decision that I need to pick myself up. Right. Um, can I ask something? Yes, yeah, please. Um, so the das is the connection and so if you have an event and you think about it and you find the connection and you've got total insight into what happened and you find something to be true and the connection is there, then you can never change it because the truth will actually give you diet, knowledge. Right. And the right. truth changed. So, so you can, you're allowed to question and you can prove it true and then it can be your reality. Right. And that was a good, great point. The truth isn't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to question as long as you find the truth and then you've got knowledge and you've got insight and you've got clarity. So it's okay to look for the clarity, to make the connection, to find the connection with Hashem. 100%. 100%. Well put. Well put. It's, it's you know, that, that's, you know, part of the exploring process and making this real to us is, is in a sense, um, asking these questions. 100%. The, the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of, of Liadi, just, or let me take a step back. Some history into the development of the Hasidic teachings, which ultimate goal is to give us Da'as, to give us a deep and meaningful appreciation for our relationship with God, which I guess at some point before Hasidic teaching was taken for granted and throughout history, throughout exile, the sensitivity kind of diminished. And the Baal Shem Tov came to reintroduce this notion, a deep, meaningful, powerful relationship with God. And the way it was introduced historically um, met a lot of pushback from traditional Jews. Um, perhaps they were fearful of what they saw something, what they saw was a new introduction to Judaism, even though it was just a re-emphasis of things that have been emphasized for all time, perhaps a miscommunication. But there became a group of opponents to Hasidic teaching back in the day when it first started hundreds of years ago called Misnagdim, opponents. And Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, his father-in-law was a very big opponent to Hasidic teaching. To the point that when 
Rabbi Shneur Zalman left his hometown for a period of time to go study Hasidic teachings by the Magid of Mezrich, who was the successor of the Bashemto. He went to Mezrich, a neighboring town, for a, 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 a different town, to study these teachings to essentially make God meaningful. His father-in-law admonished him when he came back. His father-in-law was very upset with him and gave him the silent treatment for a long time. They had a very rocky relationship because of his commitment to his Hasidic teaching, which ultimately inspired him to write the Tanya. It really transformed the world. It, you have to look at it this way. You have 5,000 Chabad rabbis all over the world, schlepping Jews from all corners of the world, making Judaism meaningful. Because he went to Rabbi Dovber of Mizrich, to the Magad of Mizrich. If his father-in-law would have seen that 300 years down the line, 250 years down the line, it would have, maybe he would have a different reaction, but he didn't see that. And he gave him a silent treatment when he came back. After um, many days of observation, he sees that his son-in-law is praying to God as he was before, keeping Jewish law as he was before, performing mitzvahs as he was before, studying the Torah as he was before, nothing heretical. Surprise, nothing heretical. And he's just so confused. So he finally breaks the silent treatment and he says to his son-in-law, what did you go there for? You look the same. Your behavior looks the same. We're studying the same Torah. You're praying the same prayers. You're doing the same mitzvahs. It's the same Judaism. You have the same fervor and the same passion that you had before. What changed? What did you gain? So he says, what I gained was I now know that God exists. His father-in-law starts laughing. <laughs> You've been brainwashed or something? You've been indoctrinated? <laughs> Convinced that you need to go to some rabbi all the way across Russia so that he could tell you that God exists? He says, let me call over Ivan. Ivan was, I don't know if his name was Ivan. I'm just making that up. Was the, um, was the custodian, the cleaning help who wasn't Jewish and wasn't educated either. He says he even knows that God exists. He calls over Yvonne. He says, Yvonne, what do you say about God? God is incredible. God, ex God exists. Prompts him and, he, and the uneducated and non-Jewish cleaning staff says, yeah, God exists. So he says, wait, so he starts pointing to his son-in-law. See? Yvonne was able to tell you that God exists. Why did you need to go all the way to Mizrich and waste all that time and sacrifice so much so you could find out that God exists? You knew that already. Come on. So he says, Yvonne says that God exists, but I know that God exists. Yvonne said that God exists. But I know that God exists. Emphasis on the word no. Highlight the word no. He internalized it. He had the opportunity for his relationship with God to become so real, so deep, so meaningful. 
that any doubt becomes meaningless, becomes irrelevant. Take a look on the bottom of 530. We'll, we'll, we'll conclude with this section. The second to last paragraph on 530. And the potential to acquire this attribute of da'as. This is a high level of da'as. But the Atanya is asserting that we can do it. That God could be so real to us if we put our minds to it. And this potential to acquire this attribute of da'as through meditative work, to connect your da'as with God, is within the ability of every soul in the house of Israel by virtue of the energy which it's drawn from the soul of Moshe, our teacher of blessed memory. The problem is we are given a limitation. Remember in JLI a few weeks ago, we spoke about inintentional blindness. The soul's in the body and the body's very strong. And that makes it more difficult. So it's going to require serious effort. Only despite this inherent potential of your soul connection with Moshe's soul, since your soul is placed into your body, top of 531, an enormously great and intense effort is required, doubled and redoubled to tap into that potential. We can experience God as real, as meaningful, as deep through Das by connecting to the Moses within us, but it's going to take effort. What measures are going to need to be taken? What do we need to actually do? What is the meditative process? For that, we shall read on next week. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it.